Father, we just love you this morning. God, we thank you that we can come and celebrate a risen Savior. God, we know that the stone was rolled away and the tomb is empty. And God, we thank you for that. God, this morning we pray that you are honored, that you are glorified in our worship. And I pray that you speak to us this morning as we hear your word. We love you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Good to be back home with you. Kevin and I returned home yesterday morning, all ready to go today. I called back and asked how church went last Sunday, and Amy said the best sermon she'd heard in a long time. <laughs> heard you did a good job there, Mr. Nathan. Very good. All the people, uh, many people uh, sent in there. Uh, spiritual gift inventory tests. So if you haven't done that, go talk to Nathan because he knows how to get that done. Praise the Lord. Thanks for doing that, Nathan. I, I've listened to about half of it and I'll get the rest of it this week. Say with me, the Word of God, the Spirit of God, the people of God are all we need and we need each desperately. Amen. That was a big hit in Cambodia. And I, I shared that over and over and over on Monday. And we talked about uh, uh, all the different passages where we are compelled to be people of the Great Commission, the good news and what the good news means, what salvation is all about. And then uh, Kevin followed up on uh, Tuesday with a verse-by-verse -verse exposition of First Peter. And in there, there's several passages about handling persecution and going through persecution. You need to be praying for our Cambodian brothers as things seem to be changing a little bit in regard to the government and the people. And there are reports of some killings. There's reports of some real persecution that is beginning. And so there's no way of knowing how all that's going to unfold. Uh, you know, it's, it, it is in 1975, it became extremely ugly. And there are some of those same people in some leadership positions, so we're not quite sure what all is going to take place in the years to come. But it was definitely a time, according to the pastors, that Kevin was able to share with them how to prepare their people for persecution and the response and how uh, there's no question. Is, and I shared with them about um, in uh, the book of Acts, uh, where we got the idea is the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the people of God of all we need, because in the church of Antioch, because of persecution, some men shared the gospel, and there became believers, and the Holy Spirit was at work, and it was unnamed people of God, and that's all we need. And uh, so <clears throat> we believe that we gave them some things. It's really amazing. People that are experiencing persecution weren't quite sure how to deal with persecution, suppose. I suppose. So it was a beautiful thing. And, and, uh, we have a, a real preacher being in the making and Kevin Elder. I know he makes him squirm a little bit, but holy cow, I enjoyed hearing him. All right. So today, Cody's already mentioned it. We have a mission opportunity. We're going to, they're calling it a spring fling. I had a little sampling of the brisket. He did good. Woo! Good brisket. It's not dry. Sometimes Curtis brisket's dry, but this ain't dry at all. This is good. This is go to town good. And so we're going to share with uh, 
a lot of different kinds of people, good old Texas barbecue. We couldn't do pork for obvious reasons. We're respecting their culture. And so the Islam people don't eat pork. And so we got some beef for them. We're going to have some chopped beef sandwiches. And we want you to come, bring your kids, have fun. We are just going to love on them. It's not a time to, to stand up and preach that Jesus is the Son of God and all those kind of things. We're just going to love on them, play with them, talk with them. And so as we're down there eating with them, everybody's spread out. And, and, and you don't know those folks, so get to know them. Don't clump, don't just spend time with our friends, but let's spread out real good and just love on them. And through the course of the deal, I'm gonna give a backdoor gospel talk a little bit, enough that we'll know what we're talking about, but we're just gonna hopefully set up uh, for future engagements for the Holy Spirit to do some work. So you need to come. Texas Tech is gonna win, and that game's going to be over by 3.30. There you go. All right. I'm excited that Texas Tech's in the final eight. Holy cow, that's a miracle. I mean it's a miracle. Man, I'm excited about that. I'm going to go home as soon as we get done here today, watch that game, celebrate. Tech's going to the final four. And so the game's going to be up. Now, if they lose, don't be depressed, Tech Raider fans. Y'all come on. Don't, don't do like the other people do, right, when their team loses. And don't go to church for six months because you're ashamed of yourself. <laughs> Get on with it. So there we go. All right. So we have the crosswalk on Good Friday, and we have our two Easter services next, next, uh, n- next week. Uh, Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. Are y'all going to be practicing here, Philip? Somebody speak for Philip. Philip's got food poison. He's probably back there. Throwing up, I imagine. Uh, I don't know how he did today. The choir, y'all's playing the music set Wednesday. Do y'all know? Anybody know? If the, we're, let's pray. What I'm what I'm trying to say is, we're gonna have a prayer meeting up here at church, seven o'clock Wednesday. We're gonna pray for Easter. So it, it, come here. If it's not here, we'll have a sign telling you where to go. And so if you're not involved in any activities on Wednesday night at seven o'clock, come up to church. And we're going to pray, okay? We're going to pray for Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday is a good opportunity for most of the people that come to hear the word in at least a year, all right? And and, and so there's a great opportunity. So Wednesday night, prayer meeting, 7 o'clock, all we're going to do is pray, okay? So let's do that Wednesday night somewhere at our church facility here. Okay, the last week of the life of Jesus is what I want to present to you today. Getting ready for our resurrection time, getting ready for the Lord's Supper that we're going to participate in together this morning. And so in Luke chapter 19, we're going to pick up the story in verse 28. Verse 28. Luke chapter 19, verse 28. Before I do, I want you to look at the picture of this man. I don't know his name. I couldn't pronounce it. If I did know it, I heard it, but it was at a loss to be. Just a few months ago, this man was very, very ill. Very ill. He had been struggling with this illness for a few years. He was a farmer. He was one of the few farmers in Cambodia that actually owned land. 
And in this church that you see behind is where the Peaceful Baptist Church meets. And that is Moses' son's church for you that have been and know about this. Look at their beautiful little uh, aluminum, uh, aluminum uh, shelter that they built. And they've got them an outhouse. That square building in the back is a good old outhouse, which is really good. I mean, all you need in rain country is a covering and an outhouse, I guess. You don't need all this. You just need the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the people of God. And by George, they got all that. And that's where they worship. And uh, we're going to get to double the size of that form because they already need that done. But uh, this man was struggling from some illness, and he sold all his land and all his possessions going to medical doctors and going to the Buddhist temple for them to pray for him. After several years, he ended up with nothing. Now, you can't go see a doctor without money there. You can't get surgery without money there. You can't get the Buddhist monks to pray for you without you giving them an offering. We'll pray for you for nothing, right? But you've got to give them money. And, and the amount of money that they were saying he had to pay for the prayers meant that he had to sell land and land and land, and he sold all his land. And he found himself without any money, no income. He and his family are just basically homeless in this community. And the pastor shared the gospel with him. He received Christ, and he was healed. And that's him. We can't talk to each other. He did this to me. I hugged his neck like I always do and make him just scared to death. The big bear's hugging me. But he accepted Christ. It's an amazing thing that happens there. He just believed in Jesus for salvation and he was healed. It's just like I'm just amazed in the pastor's conference is he sat nearly halfway in the back, and I can't tell you his name. I can't have a conversation with him. All my talk is through Kyle, and there's 65 of them. So there's, you know, you just can't talk with all of them. But he could not read and write until he became a believer. And after he received Christ, all of a sudden he could read and write. I, I can't explain that. And but the people around him. Who, who now pastor in his area, all testify that that's exactly the story. Now he's pastoring a church. He sits back there and he takes notes and he reads the Bible. They say he cannot read. Sal Mao's there. Now I can say Sal Mao's name. He's there. Sal Mao was blind until he believed in Christ. And when he believed in Christ, he could see. So there's three guys that I was around that once they believed in Jesus, whatever was their illness was healed. Hallelujah. They believed they're born again. Amen. That's what Jesus and the Holy Spirit is doing in Cambodia. In Cambodia. I kind of asked the guys, how's the Lord doing? Kyle asked me how the Lord's doing. 
Good, 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 good. This morning I'm over. Was the Lord at work in your life? No, really he's not. You know, it, it's hard, it's hard to see the work of the Spirit and then not so much. So you be patient with me for a while. Because once again, you got to make adjustments, leaving the land of not much where the Holy Spirit is so powerful. Coming back to the land of plenty and we don't have as many visible signs of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That's why I thought maybe we have a prayer meeting on Wednesday night before Easter. Maybe, maybe the Lord might just do something unusual in our midst. Maybe we've got to tell him. Maybe we've got to say to him more than we're saying to him, Lord, pour out your spirit in our land. There isn't a revival going on in Cambodia. They have been saved in the hundreds. We can't build enough churches, but the Koreans can. They're building churches. They're building our people's churches. It's wonderful. If you go need a new TV, get an LG. <laughs> Buy that Korean TV. Because there's a lot of that Lord's money going through that Korean uh, people into Cambodia. And they're at work there. They believe that's their mission. I'm all in favor of that because it doesn't have to be our mission. We can build the people and be in the support work. We feel good about that. So that's taking place. But they can't build this fellow a church because he doesn't own land. That's in the middle of rice paddies. All right, here we go. Luke chapter 19. After telling this story, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. So he was, he was, he was greyhounding it. He was stepping out there with a quick step, which is really an amazing thing because he's on his way to Jerusalem and he knows that he is going to suffer and he is going to die. As he came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. As he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him when he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives. All of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. He replied, If they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. I'd like to see some stones cheering. But as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. Peace. 
but now it is too late, and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. That took place in 70 AD. The prophecy was fulfilled because the Jewish people missed the day of their visitation. Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people selling animals for sacrifices. He said to them, the scriptures declare my temple will no longer will be a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. After that, he taught daily in the temple, but the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the other leaders of the people began planning how to kill him. But they could think of nothing because all the people hung on every word he said. Chapter 20, verse 1. One day as Jesus was teaching the people and, teach, uh, teaching the people and preaching the good news in the temple, the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders came up to him. They demanded, by what authority are you doing all these things? Who gave you the right? Let me ask you a question first, he replied. Did John's authority to baptize come from heaven, or was it merely human? They talked it over among themselves. If we say it was from heaven, he will ask, why didn't we believe John? But if we say it was merely human, the people will stone us because they are convinced John was a prophet. So they finally replied that they didn't know. And Jesus responded, then I won't tell you by what authority I do these things. Now Jesus turned to the people again and told them this story. So you can see how it all ties together here. A man planted a vineyard, leased it to a tenant farmers, and moved to another country to live for several years. At the time of the grape harvest, he sent one of his servants to collect his share of the crop. But the farmers attacked the servant, beat him up, and sent him back empty-handed. So the owner sent another servant, but they also insulted him, beat him up, and sent him away empty-handed. A third man was sent, and they wounded him and chased him away. What will I do, the owner asked himself. I know, I'll send my cherished son. Surely they will respect him. But when the tenant farmer saw his son, they said to each other, here comes the heir to this estate. Let's kill him and get the estate for ourselves. So they dragged him out of the vineyard and murdered him. What do you suppose the owner of the vineyard will do to them, Jesus asked. I'll tell you, he will come and kill those farmers and lease the vineyard to others. How terrible that such a thing should ever happen. His listeners protested. That's, that's chilling, isn't it? That's chilling because that's exactly what's about to take place. Jesus looked at them and said, then what does this scripture mean? The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Everyone who stumbles over that stone will be broken to pieces and it will crush anyone it falls on. The teachers of religious law and the leading priests wanted to arrest Jesus immediately because they realized he was telling the story against them. They were the wicked farmers, but they were afraid of the people's reaction. Verse 20, 
Watching for their opportunity, the leaders sent spies pretending to be honest men. They tried to get Jesus to say something that could be reported to the Roman governor so he would arrest Jesus. Teacher, they said, we know that you speak and teach what is right and are influenced by what others think and are not influenced by what others think. You teach the way of God truthfully. Now tell us, is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? He saw through their trickery and said, show me a Roman coin whose picture and title are stamped on it. Caesar's, they replied. Well, then, he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. So they failed to trap him of what he said in front of the people. Instead, they were amazed by his answer and they became silent. Then Jesus was approached by some Sadducees, religious leaders, who say there is no resurrection from the dead. They pose this question. Teacher, Moses gave us a law that if a man dies, leaving a wife and no children, his brother should marry the widow and have a child who would carry on the brother's name. Well, suppose there were seven brothers. The oldest one married and then died without children. So the second brother married the widow, but he also died. Then the third brother married her. This continued with all seven of them who, who died without children. Finally, the woman also died. So tell us, Whose wife will she be in the resurrection? For all seven were married to her. Jesus replied, Marriage for people here on earth. But in the age to come, those worthy of being raised from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage, and they will never die again. In this respect, they will be like angels. They are children of God and children of the resurrection. But now, as to whether the dead will be raised, even Moses proved this when he wrote about the burning bush. Long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died, he referred to the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So he is the God of the living, not the dead, for they are all alive to him. Well said, teacher, remarked some of the teachers of religious law who were standing there. And then no one dared to ask him any more questions. Can you imagine in the crowd, someone says, i got a good question. No, you don't be quiet. <laughs> He's gotten every one of them. There's no way we, can cra- we can't trap this cat. Quit trying. We're going to be in a mess here if you ask that question. He's the son of man. He knows all hearts. Verse 41. Then Jesus presenting them with a question, Why is it, he asked, that the Messiah is said to be the son of David? For David himself wrote in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. Since David called the Messiah Lord, how can the Messiah be his son? Then with the crowds listening, he turned to his disciples and said, Beware of these teachers of religious law. For they like to parade around in flowing robes and love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces and how they love the seats of honor in the synagogues and the head table at banquets. Yet they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property and then pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. Because of this, they 
will be severely punished. Chapter 21. While Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box. Then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them. For they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. He's watching people put their money in the treasury, in the collection box. He's watching. Jesus knows who they are. He knows their name. He knows their heart. He knows how much they make. And he's watching all the wealthy people come by, putting in. He sees how much is left. And then he sees this poor widow come and she puts in two tiny coins. She put in a couple pennies. But Jesus saw it and said, there's nothing left. This is a good time to take up an offering, isn't it? Let's do so. Ushers, come forward. Ushers, come forward for our offering. As you give your offering today, while Jesus was in the temple, go ahead and take it up. Go slow. Let the Holy Spirit work for a while. While Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection plate. Then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them, for they have given a tiny part of their surplus. But she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. Even if you give through the mail, even if you give through some other means, Look in that wallet of yours and just see what can you spare with. What's a good sample of faith for you today? Well, Jesus in temple, he watched the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box. Then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them. For they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. Lord watches, doesn't he? When we take up the offering. While Jesus in the temple, he watched the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box. Verse 5, some of his disciples began talking about the majestic stonework of the temple and the memorial decorations on the walls. The temple had to have been an unbelievable monument. Huge, by the way. Stood head and tall over everything else in Jerusalem. Have you seen our Capitol building in Washington, D.C.? Man, when you see it for the first time live, it's mind-blowing. It was to me. I saw, it's huge. And when you go on one side over there by the Supreme Court, look back that way, he said, man, it's huge. But when you go downhill, you see where all the presidents are inaugurated and see those steps and get back a ways, 
you're going, holy moly, that thing is huge. It's spectacular. That's the way the temple was. People are always talking about it. Look how beautiful it is. Look how ornate it is. Look how well-crafted it is. And Jesus said, the time is coming when all these things will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Now, how can that be? How can that be that if we said, if that was said about our capital, the United States Capitol, it's big now, but, but let me tell you something. Every single stone is going to be torn down one day. We would say, are you nuts? How can that be? Well, that's exactly this situation. Teacher, they ask, when will all this happen? What sign will show us that these things are about to take place? He replied, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah and saying, the time has come. But don't believe them. And when you hear of wars and insurrections, don't panic. Yes, these things must take place first, but the end won't follow immediately. Then he added, nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and there will be famines and plagues in many lands. And there will be terrifying things and great miraculous signs from heaven. But before this all, occur, all occur, occurs, there will be a time of great persecution. You will be dragged into synagogues and prisons. You will stand trial before kings and governors because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell them about me. So don't worry in advance about how to answer the charges against you, for I will give you the right words and such wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to reply or refute you. Even those closest to you, your parents, brothers, relatives, and friends will betray you. They will even kill some of you. And everyone will hate you because you are my followers, but not a hair of your head will perish. By standing firm, you will win your souls. And when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you will know that the time of its destruction has arrived. Then those in Judea must flee the hills, those in Jerusalem must get out, and those out in the country should not return to the city, for those will be the days of God's vengeance, and the prophetic words of the Scriptures will be fulfilled. How terrible it will be for pregnant women and for nursing mothers in those days. Hard to run fast if you're pregnant or you're nursing a baby. Hard to get out of town. For there will be disaster in the land and great anger against this people. They will be killed by the sword or sent away as captives to all the nations of the world. And Jerusalem will be trampled down by the Gentiles until the period of the Gentiles comes to an end. And there will be strange signs in the sun, moon, and stars. And there on earth the nations will be in turmoil, perplexed by the roaring seas and strange tides. People will be terrified at what they see coming upon the earth, for the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on a cloud with power and great glory. So when all these things began to happen, stand and look up, for your salvation is near. Then he gave them this illustration. Notice the fig tree or any other tree. When the leaves come out, you know without being told that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things taking place, you can know that the kingdom of God is near. I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass away from the scene until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. Watch out. Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing 
and drunkenness and by the worries of this life. Don't let that day catch you unaware like a trap, for that day will come upon everyone living on the earth. Keep alert at all times and pray that you you might be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. Every day, Jesus went to the temple to teach, and, and each evening he returned to spend the night on the Mount of Olives. The crowds gathered at the temple each early each morning to hear him. Chapter 22. The festival of unleavened bread, which is also called Passover, was approaching. The leading priests and teachers of religious law were plotting how to kill Jesus, but they were afraid of the people's reaction. Then Satan entered Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve disciples. He went to the leading priests and captains of the temple guard to discuss the best way to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted, and they promised to give him money, So he agreed and began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus so they would arrest him when the crowds weren't around. Now the festival of unleavened bread arrived. When the Passover lamb is sacrificed, Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and said, go and prepare the Passover meal so we can eat it together. Where do you want us to prepare it, they asked him. He replied, as soon as you enter Jerusalem, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I eat? I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples. He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That is where you should prepare our meal. They went off to the city and found everything just as Jesus said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He did the wine first. We're going to do the wine first today. Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is a new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. And here at this table, sitting among you, among us as a friend, is the man who betrayed me. For it has been determined that the Son of Man must die, but what sorrow awaits the one who betrays him? The disciples began to ask each other which of them would ever do such a thing. Then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Jesus told them, In this world the kings and great men lorded over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here, for I am among you as one who serves. You stayed with me in my time of trial, and just as my Father has granted me a kingdom, I now grant you the right to eat and drink at my table in my kingdom." And you will sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you 
like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said, Lord, I am ready to go to prison with you and even die with you. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. Then Jesus asked them, when I sent you out to preach the good news and you did not have money or traveler's bag or an extra pair of sandals, did you need anything? No, they replied. But now he said, take your money and a traveler's bag, and if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one, for the time has come for this prophecy about me to be fulfilled. He was counted among the rebels. Yes, everything written about me by the prophets will come true. Look, Lord, they replied, we have two swords among us. That's enough, he said. Then accompanied by disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went as usual to the Mount of Olives. There he told them, pray that you will not give into temptation. He walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. He prayed more fervently, and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. At last he stood up again and returned to the disciples, only to find them asleep, exhausted from grief. While you're sleeping, he asked them, get up and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. But even as Jesus said this, a crowd approached, led by Judas, one of the twelve disciples. Judas walked over to Jesus to greet him with a kiss. But Jesus said, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man for a kiss with a kiss? When the other disciples saw what was about to happen, they exclaimed, Lord, should we fight? We brought the swords. And one of them struck at the high priest's slave, slashing off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus spoke to the leading priests, the captains of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him. Am I some dangerous revolutionary, he asked them, that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why did you arrest me in the temple? I was there every day, but this is your moment, the time when the power of darkness reigns. So they arrested him and led him to the high priest's home, and Peter followed at a distance. The guards of the fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it, and Peter joined them there. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, this man was one of Jesus' followers. But Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know him. While someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. No, man, I'm not, Peter retorted. About an hour later, someone else insisted, this must be one of them because he is a Galilean too. But Peter, but Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. The Lord still does that. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. 
And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. The guards in charge of Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and said, prophesy to us. Who hit you that time? And they hurled all sorts of terrible insults at him. At daybreak, all the elders of the people assembled, including the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. Jesus was led before this high council, and they said, Tell us, are you the Messiah? But he replied, If I tell you, you won't believe me. And if I ask you a question, you won't answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated in the place of power at God's right hand. They all shouted, So are you claiming to be the Son of God? And he replied, You say that I am. Why do we need other witnesses, they said. We ourselves heard him say it. Chapter 23. Then the entire council took Jesus to Pilate, the Roman governor. They began to state their case. This man has leading our people astray by telling them not to pay their taxes to the Roman government and by claiming he is the Messiah as king. So Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, you've said it. Pilate turned to the leading priests and to the crowd and said, I find nothing wrong with this man. Then they became insistent. But he is causing riots by his teaching wherever he goes. All over Judea from Galilee to Jerusalem. Oh, he is a Galilean, Pilate asked. Come here, Bryce. Pilate sent him to Herod Antipas because Galilee was under Herod's jurisdiction. And Herod happened to be in Jerusalem at that time. Read the rest of the chapter from verse 8. Herod was delighted at the opportunity to see Jesus because he had heard about him and had been hoping for a long time to see him perform a miracle. He asked Jesus question after question, but Jesus refused to answer. Meanwhile, the leading priests and the teachers of a religious law stood there shouting their accusations. Then Herod and his soldiers began mocking and ridiculing Jesus. Finally, they put a royal robe on him and sent him back to Pilate. Herod and Pilate who had been enemies before, became friends that day. Then Pilate called together the leading priests and other religious leaders, along with the people, and he announced his verdict. You brought this man to me, accusing him of leading a revolt. I have examined him thoroughly on this point in your presence and find him innocent. Herod came to the, con the same conclusion and sent him back to us. Nothing this man has done calls for the death penalty, so I will have him flogged and then I will release him. Then a mighty roar rose from the crowd, and with one voice they shouted, Kill him and release Barabbas to us. Barabbas was in prison for taking part in an insurrection in Jerusalem against the government and for murder. Pilate argued with them because he wanted to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, Crucify him, crucify him. For the third time he demanded, Why, what crime has he committed? I have found no reason to sentence him to death, so I will have him flogged, and then I will release him. But the mob shouted louder and louder, demanding that Jesus be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate sent, sentenced Jesus to die as they demanded. As they had requested, he released Barabbas, the man in prison for insurrection and murder. But he returned Jesus over to them to do as they wished. As they led Jesus away, a man named Simon, who was from Serene, happened to be coming in from the countryside. The soldiers seized him and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large crowd trailed behind 
including many grief-stricken women. But Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For the days are coming when they will say, Fortunate indeed are the women who are childless, the wombs that have not borne a child and the breasts that have never nursed. People will beg the mountains, fall on us, and plead with the hills, bury us. For if these things are done when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others, both criminals, were let out to be executed with him. When they came to a place called the Skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. <clears throat> and the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched, and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself, if he is really God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers mocked him, too, by offering him a drink of sour wine. They call out to him, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with these words, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us, too, while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man doesn't ha hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. By this time, it was about noon, and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone, and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. When the Roman officer overseeing the execution saw what had happened, he worshiped God and said, Surely this man was innocent. And when all the crowd that came to see the crucifixion saw what happened, they went home in deep sorrow. But Jesus' friends, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching. Now there was a good and righteous man named Joseph. He was a member of the Jewish high council, but he had not agreed with the decision and the actions of the other religious leaders. He was from the town of Arimathea in Judea, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. He went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Then he took the body down from the cross and wrapped it in a long sheet of linen cloth and laid it in a new tomb that had been carved out of rock. This was done late on Friday afternoon, the day of preparation, as the Sabbath was about to begin. As his body was taken away, the women from Galilee followed and saw the tomb where, he was, where his body was placed. They went home and prepared spices and ointments to anoint his body. But by the time they were finished, the Sabbath had begun. So they rested as required by the law. Father, I pray that you'd prepare our hearts and minds as we spend time this morning remember what Jesus has done for us on the cross. We have read your word that gives us insight into the last week of Jesus' life. Help us now, Father, to make ourselves available to you completely. Thank you for your love and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> 